I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This episode is sponsored by Laneberg Wine. Make this Christmas really special by giving a gift of premium quality English wine from Laneberg Wine, the UK's most northerly wine, based in Tyneside. You can order online at lanebergwine.com forward slash shop where you can build your own gift to make it unique to your loved one. Use the code PURPOSEMADE to get 15% off your first gift order. Note, applies to orders over £30. Shipping costs are added on and may be significant if ordering from abroad. You're listening to the Purpose Made Podcast. A podcast dedicated to exploring the fundamental topics and key drivers for change within our global society today. This series is brought to you by Peter Bell, founder of Purpose Made, a strategic consultancy specializing in post-pandemic change and organizational transformation. And for me, whenever I have a challenge, whether it be business or personal, and actually when you run a business, a business challenge becomes personal, I guess. And I think I like to be very pragmatic about it. So quite often when I have a problem, I kind of throw myself into it a bit more. So when I got divorced, rather than mope around and get depressed, there was a bit of that, but it was few and far between because for me, the solution was actually to immerse myself in the business and do more for the business because I could see that by doing more on the business, I would then generate the the cash, the income to be able to have more freedom than I had at that point in time. Original conversations, purpose made for you. So sit back, relax, and we do hope you enjoy. Hi, and welcome back to the Purpose Made podcast. In today's episode, we chat to the phenomenal Sophie Milliken. Sophie's a multi-award winning entrepreneur, director, board member, chartered HR professional, author, public speaker, and investor. In today's episode, we chat to Sophie about her childhood, family, her time with John Lewis, to also SRS, pitching to Dragon's Dens, James Kahn, and Sarah Davies, charity work and thoughts for the future. This is an amazing episode exploring what it is and what it takes to be an entrepreneur. The Sophie shares her warm and engaging story about growth, development, and the strength of weak ties. So without further ado, please sit back, relax, and we do hope you enjoy. Morning, Sophie. Thank you so much for joining us. It's an absolute pleasure having you. I think possibly one of the best places to start the podcast is around your childhood, as it's commonly known that many entrepreneurs' journeys are founded from a young age. So looking back at your childhood in particular, maybe describe what you were like, your values, some key experiences and beliefs that set you on the pathway to where you are today. Yeah, really interesting question. I think I didn't really think 
of my childhood has been particularly entrepreneurial or been influenced um, in any way by entrepreneurs or sort of, you know, in terms of anything that was particularly enterprising. However, when I wrote my second book, The Ambition Accelerator, I did start reflecting quite a bit on childhood and I remembered lots of things that I did as a, as a child that actually in hindsight were massively enterprising. So some of them are a bit embarrassing to be honest, but um, I persuaded my next door neighbor we must have only been about eight or nine to, this is when like kids at eight or nine were allowed to the shop and stuff. I wouldn't let my nine-year-old go to the shop, but we used to go and buy penny chews and we used to stretch them and sell them for 2p. We used to get loads of junk out of our houses and have um, like garage sales and try and sell stuff. We had a tattoo business where we used to draw on people's hands and charge them like 20p for this tattoo. That was quite embarrassing. So it was always driven by me. And I remember my, my friend that was next door, her mum used to say to me, Oh, you're going to be a businesswoman. And it was quite funny because she used to say it as if that was a really bad thing. But actually now I'm like, well, I find that quite flattering. So she always saw that in me. But it's funny because none of my family are entrepreneurs or business owners at all. They're very traditional in the careers that they've gone into. You know, my dad was a structural engineer. My mum was a teacher and a social worker. My brothers, they're both younger than me. One of them is a finance manager and the other one's a teacher. So quite traditional things. And I think that's quite interesting because you are influenced by what you see when when you're younger. And I, I don't kind of know where where that's that's come from to, to you know what has influenced me to to get to that point and I think you know I'm sure we'll go on to talk about it but when I did set the business up it wasn't that I'd always wanted to set a business up forever it was me being quite enterprising and resourceful and I think they're skills that I've probably always had but just not knowing really where to direct them maybe. I love the fact that you've just referenced being enterprising and resourceful and how this has impacted your career journey because being entrepreneurial can mean several things to many people from knowing an industry inside out, thus utilizing knowledge to attain new business to also having the ability to explore an idea from its early foundations to create a new opportunity. It's all about passion, skill, experience, insight, resources, and possibly the most important element of all that of your network to spot and take advantage of an opportunity at the right time and also in the right way. Speaking of which, it brings me nicely to John Lewis. John Lewis is potentially one of the most enterprising companies in respect to the UK, at least, and arguably one of the most resourceful too. So reflecting on your time at John Lewis, what were some of the key takeaways? So I look back with great fondness overall of of my time at John Lewis because it gave me a great grounding in business and it was a great learning experience. So I applied to John Lewis while I was still at uni to go on to their graduate scheme. Initially, I wanted to, when I was at university, I wanted to be a fashion buyer. And then I realized that you probably had to live in London. And at that point in time, I didn't want to live in London. And I say that with a bit of a smile now because I did end up in London for like eight, nine years. And I kind of wish I had gone actually straight from from uni down to London and made the most of that opportunity while I didn't have any ties. But I I was a bit afraid of London at that point. It was this big, scary place. So when I realised that the buying thing would take me there, I decided to apply directly to John Lewis in Newcastle and go on their local graduate scheme. So I did that. 
got on and ended up, um, I got promoted quite quickly. Within three months, I was the first management level section manager. And then I used to just get moved around the whole shop. Like if there was a problem, it would be like, oh, we'll go and send Sophie there. And they, they would say, oh, it's for your development. It's a development opportunity. That was the John Lewis classic. And, and I used to get frustrated by that because I used to think, oh, I've just got to grips with whatever department it was. And I was quite enjoying it. And then I'd get moved somewhere else. But actually that was quite good because it meant that I never really got to know too much about the, the products or the assortment. It was more around my management skills and leading the team and, and those sorts of things, which actually were transferable skills. And then I fell into HR really just by mistake because there was a very strong, and I think, I hope, I hope there still is strong coaching culture within John Lewis and a, a strong development culture. So I used to get to go on all sorts of training programs. I got to do this big coaching program, which was brilliant. And then an opportunity came up in in the HR department that I went for. And then that just opened up all kinds of doors for me because I I started really, really enjoying it. That was definitely where where my passion was at that point. So I had this learning and development coach role where I used to coach other managers, help them with their training needs analysis for their departments and just really enjoyed it. But then I got to a point where I was kind of mid twenties and, you know, John Lewis, Newcastle, it's quite an isolated branch. It's not near any other branches. So to get promoted beyond that, it's kind of like that dead man's shoes thing. Like no one ever left in those days. Nothing ever really changed at those higher levels. So I started getting the tap on the shoulder, like you need to go and apply to other branches, which I didn't really want to do. So I was kind of keeping an eye out for things because I was pretty ambitious. I didn't have any real ties at that point. So I did have some flexibility. And then a secondment came up at the head office, which is in Victoria in London to do a learning and development. I can't even remember what the job was now. Learning development designer role, I think it was. So it was to design training specifically for the new branches. There was a really sort of ambitious new branch program at that point. So I applied for that. It was a six months of comment. I knew I wasn't going to go back. Like I knew I'd be off and, and never to return. So I remember being really upset on my last day. Like I'm never going to be back here. And the MD of the branch, he said to me, welcome back anytime, but you know, just go for it. And, and I went down there and, you know, six months turned into sort of eight, nine years down there. And I, and I never went back, which was you know, what, what I thought would happen. And that's a comment then turned into a permanent role absolutely loved that. I then got the opportunity to do my master's in HR management, which the business sponsored because like I say, big sort of training development culture. And then I knew that I wanted to sort of progress even further and I felt very well supported at head office and had all these opportunities. So I started looking out for other jobs that might be a promotion. And because I was doing my master's in HR, I very much specialised in L&D, learning development. So I wanted to look at a different aspect of HR. So then I didn't want to do any of that procedural stuff with you, sacking people and all that sort of stuff. I find that a bit depressing. So the role came up to look after the graduate recruitment area. And I thought, oh, that sounds quite fun. I quite fancy that. So I had no recruitment experience. Or maybe I had a little bit, but nothing major. And I thought, I'm just going to apply for it and see, see where it goes. And I got the job. And that went from literally, I think I had one person on my team, maybe, or two people in my team at that point. And we had one graduate scheme in retail management and a summer placement scheme in retail management. That was it. And we were number 74 in the Times Top 100 employers, which was the big barometer of, you know, graduate 
employers. Within the time that I was in that role, I did that role for nearly five years. It was the longest I ever did a specific role at John Lewis. And within that time, I grew the assortment of, of schemes to about, we had 15, 16 schemes when I left. So we had schemes in buying, merchandising, IT, all sorts of stuff, and loads of industrial placement schemes and, and all sorts. And we were moving into apprentices. And we were number nine in the Times Top 100 when I left, which was just such a, such a big thing for us at that point. But one of the key things that happened in that role was not only was I still doing the master's because I did it part-time, so it took me a while to do it, but I was having exposure to people outside of John Lewis, whereas every other role I'd had, it was very much um, just John Lewis mm-hmm. people, which was great. But it was that exposure to external people. So I used to network with other businesses, you know, other retailers or, or brands. I used to go out to universities and, and speak to students and things like that. And it just gave me like a different perspective on things. It developed my confidence. And I became a specialist in, in, in graduate recruitment because I learned so much from, from getting involved in the industry and, you know, making really good contacts that I still have today. So yeah, really, really interesting sort of grounding in things. And and then it got to a point where I was doing that role. Then we had a big restructure in HR. They've had about five or six since then. And I, I'm really grateful that I went at the point that I did because I, I think I would have struggled with some of the other changes that they've had. So at that point, they were moving my team out to Bracknell. By this point, I was living back in Newcastle, commuting down to London, which was doable because I only did it once a week. But they were wanting me to be based in Bracknell, which just was just too far. And they wanted me to be in the office a bit more and the job was changing. And I just thought, mm, no, this this isn't for me. Actually, I'm really enjoying what I do. It's time to go. So I left. That was in 2013. Yeah, when you left, that was obviously a great moment for you because you went on to set up SRS. So can you maybe tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so I look back and I think it was quite impulsive, actually, that we set the business up. So what happened is there was a guy called Simon who had a similar job to the role I had at John Lewis, but he worked for one of the banks. And he used to commute down from from Yorkshire down to Canary Wharf. So we had quite a bit in common around this commute and we were both really active in what's now the Institute of Student Employers and we got on really well. And he kept saying to me, I I really got this ambition to set up my own business. So we've both done a bit of freelance and work on the side and just one day we met for lunch just decided we were going to set this business up and I look back and I think oh my god that was so impulsive but you know no regrets at all and so we set the business up with the aim to provide consultancy services to employers universities and students we didn't really know what we were offering so we kind of had a bit of everything on the website and I think we'd lined up maybe one contract before before we um officially launched and because we have really strong relationships it was quite easy to get people to talk to us mm. and you know we were really accommodating we would do literally anything at that point and people would just come and talk to us about ideas that they had and it just kind of sort of grew grew from them and we quickly realized that offering services to students wasn't ever going to make any money it just wasn't commercial because you know particularly when you know we were charging that pretty much well from year two we, we were VAT registered so you don't really want to charge students anything, to be honest. So it's not it's not scalable. It's not commercial. So for us, the money was from the employers and from the universities. And initially, the bulk of the revenue was coming from stuff for employers. So we design their assessment centres. Um, we do the outsourcing bit so we can screen their applications or do their telephone or video interviews or support them running their assessment centres. And that was where most of the money came from at the start. 
And then it was the um, the university side that just just transformed the business. So there was a um, lady at Manchester Met University who worked in the fashion uh, with the fashion students, and I'd had a really great relationship with her back from, from John Lewis. And she got in touch with me. She said, "Can you, can we have a chat about? I want to run an assessment center simulation. I've got eight hundred students. Like, can we have a chat about this? Because I think you'll have some good ideas." And me and Simon went to see her. And it ended up being her realising really that actually to run that on that scale on our own would have been a bit of a nightmare. So we ended up winning this job to to go and do it. And uh, it was a bit chaotic, the first one, to be honest, like 800 students. We did it over two days. Bear in mind that an employer probably runs an assessment centre with maybe eight or 12 candidates. You know, the scale of that was huge. And we ran it in a um, hotel. We literally had every training room in this hotel and there were students everywhere. And it was just like, it was just crazy. And then from that point, we cottoned onto the idea that actually if we ran them in football stadiums, we'd have boxes on a level. It would make it easier to manage. And, you know, the rest is history because we now work with loads of universities running them on huge scales where, you know, one of our biggest clients, we do over 3,000 students, not in one day, sure. but we would, we, you know, we do, we do over 3,000 students. So we just became real experts in, in that. And that, that's now the bulk of the business is, is mostly sort of in uh, university side. But if we kind of look at um, SRS, it, like the actual success and the growth that you've had, there's been two different sides of it. There's a side where you're kind of doing it flying solo and also with a business partner, the, the ending of that relationship with the business partners to recently um, selling the business and being part of a business again. Kind of what are the key differences from, from your perspective and what were the key learnings through, through this big old change that you kind of went from, from um, setting up something yourself to selling it to um, flying solo? What, what were the key, key learnings? When we set the business up, my business partner was, was great in terms of having a structure to the business and putting systems in place that, that were really important. I'm probably less bothered about things like that. But you need you need those things absolutely, and you know as we grew, we absolutely needed those things. I'm more of a risk taker and more wanting to explore opportunities that just pop up and see see where they take us. So an early example of that was we we were only going about three months, and I was following James Kahn. You know James Kahn, yeah. who used to be on um, Dragon's Den. I used to follow him, I still do, on LinkedIn. And he did this advert, literally we were three months in, he did this advert on LinkedIn saying, I'm set, I'm launching this competition to find the my recruitment entrepreneur. Here's how you apply. And I was like, Simon, Simon, we've got to apply for this. It sounds amazing. And the winner got half a million pounds investment and mentoring from him. And I was like, we've got to go for this. And he was a bit cautious and he was like, well, do you, do you think it's a good idea? And I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he went, right, well, you, you sort that out and I'll, I'll back it. But, you know, you crack on. So me being resourceful, put together this pitch, spoke to someone that runs an ad agency to get a bit of help to sort of use it up and make it look really cool. And then I submitted it and I knew, you know, when you get a good feeling about something, I knew we'd get somewhere with it. And sure enough, we did. We get this email from his PA saying, James would like to meet you in three weeks or whatever. And I was like, oh my God, right. We better, uh, we better prepare for this. And we did, I think I've still got it somewhere actually. And we must dig it out. I made this, um, this board. So I bought this massive piece of sort of cardboard or something or plastic it was, I think. 
And I drew this path on Well, I got my friend who's an artist, draw this path on it. And the path went in two directions. One was if he gave us the investment and one was if he didn't. And they both ended up with success just at different paces and, and in different ways. And it had stuff about our background and where we got to in the first few months of the business and where we saw things going. So I was trying to be a bit creative and stand out because obviously he was seeing quite a few people. And we went down to, to his really fancy office in Mayfair and um, we went to the pub actually beforehand to have a, have a drink before we went in because we were really nervous. And we went in and it was just so amazing. Like it was such a cool experience three months in. And what we hadn't been prepared for was the fact that we'd be there with the other candidates. So mm-hmm. we went in sat in this board boardroom. I mean, it was so like cliche, but so fun. And there were like maybe 10 other people around this table and we didn't have very long. It was like, right, you've got two minutes to tell us what you're all about. And we were the only ones that had a prop. So that kind of was good because it meant we stood out, stood out and we did the pitch. And I remember at the end of it, he summed up what we did and he got it. And I was like, right, great, he gets it. And it was just such a fun experience. And then a few days later, we got an email that said, you know, uh, loves, loves what you're about, but you know, it's, it's not for him sort of thing. And I was a bit good. And then I thought, well, do you know what? We've only been going a few months. I saw getting that investment as probably pulling us back to London, which I was trying to get away from at that point. I didn't really want to give away the control at that point, but what a bloody experience to go and sit with him. And we dined out on it for years. I'm not kidding. Like every time we would chat to clients, we'd be like, oh yeah, well, we did this with James Cotton. And it was just so fun because it was such a fun experience to talk about it. And it, and it, it was just cool. It was just one of those things where you've just got to have a go and see where it see where it takes you. And you now he's run that competition a few times since and he tends to go, well, I think he always has gone with quite traditional recruitment agencies and that's not what we were or, or are. So it, it wasn't the right fit for us, but what a fun experience. It was just bonkers. And then we just cracked on and I had a lot more ambition for the business than, than my business partner did and it just got to a point where he thought it would be a nice business for one of us to make a good income but it would never generate enough income for both of us so he decided to leave and he set up a completely different business and he's doing really well with that I then had this moment where I'm like oh my god I'm just running this business totally on my own but I'd had quite a while to get used to the idea because he he'd talked about leaving for quite a while and whereas I'd been quite nervous at first because it took a while for him to, to actually sort of make that leap, I'd come around to the idea and I, I actually started to get quite excited about it and think, oh yeah, this, this could be a really cool opportunity. So when he went, I think I spent about four or five weeks just out on the road going and speaking to clients because that had been his role. My role was to run run the office and deliver the work. Mm-hmm. So I then had to do all of it <laughs> for, for a while. And because I'm, I was still really excited about the business and he put, he'd lost that being realistic at that point because he knew, you know, once you've decided you're going, your head, your head goes, doesn't it? So when I then went out to have all these client conversations, I was able to get excited about things. And I think when you get excited and you believe in what you sell, it's really quite easy to sell it as long as it's something that they want and need. It's, it's an easy sell. So I'd gone from having like no business in the diary whatsoever when at the point where he left and him obviously taking his money out to securing quite a lot of business in those, I think I got like a hundred grand's worth of business in that first six weeks, which was significant at that point. 
And I was just like, this is really cool. This could work. And then I started employing people. We'd always had an associate pool. So I needed to grow that, started employing people and took permanent office space. And it just, it just snowboarded. Like we just got really, really busy. We've got a place on the Scale Up Northeast program. So we got some support through that. I joined the Female Entrepreneur Association. So I was getting lots of inspiration and encouragement through, through that group and just, yeah, loads of cool stuff started happening. And then it must've been like 2018, I reckon, Zach from Grad Touch got in touch with me and said, you know, I've seen you doing some cool stuff on LinkedIn or whatever. It'd be good to have a chat next time. You know, if you were around, um, they were based in Manchester. And I happened to be going to Manchester literally a day later. And I was like, I'm actually around. I've got 45 minutes slot between being here and there if you want to catch up. And he's like, yeah, sure, great. So we started chatting, had a really good conversation, ended up partnering on a few events in London, um, which kind of complemented both brands. And then he kept talking to me about merging and creating a bigger brand and, you know, really going for it in, within the graduate recruitment industry. At that point, I hadn't even thought about an exit or selling or merging or any of those things but he presented this really um compelling opportunity and I thought yeah why not we'll you know we'll we'll, we'll do that and that completed in 2019 and here we are coming towards the end of 2021 and so a couple of years down down the line with that and it has created opportunities it's um it's a bit different as well, obviously, because you know we're part of a bigger, a bigger group. So things, um, things have sort of changed within that as well. But yeah, it's mad to think all these different things have happened in a short space of time, really. Yeah, I think the differences is a key thing to explore because if we look at it, you've gone from setting up a business with a business partner, the separation of that, which from what it sounds like, it gave you the opportunity to thrive and build your own confidence and have that confirmation that clients believe in what you you were trying to achieve. And then going back into a business um, with the partnership that was created with Zach, like what what's the what's that been like? The the key differences there from working essentially by yourself to going to be part of a, a, a larger company. Well, one of the things that attracted me to doing the deal was kind of having colleagues at the same level again. So, you know, a, a key sort of principle of the of the deal was that I was coming in to work alongside Zach and his business partner, Joe, and we were very much growing this group as, as a trio uh, at that point. Obviously, things have moved on quite a bit because we've acquired new businesses and, and the group's got much bigger. Um, but that was an, an attractive offer and that was a key reason why I did that deal. And also they are very into tech and that's not my bag at all. I get the value of it, but I don't understand it and I can't do it. So the fact that they had a big tech team was was attractive because I could see how that could enhance um, SRS, which it has done. So that was a real positive. Yeah, it's just, it's, it is nice, I guess, having um, colleagues at that level again, because we've now got this sort of a bigger, a bigger group of us at that level. You know, I am quite autonomous in the way that I run SRS. So I still run it pretty much in the same way that I did. So that hasn't really changed. So if you're one of our clients, um, it still feels the same, which is great because, you know, we've, we've got a lot of strengths within the brand. But I guess, you know, in a bigger organization, there's always going to be some things that are frustrating. You know, we have uh, a lot of investment in the group. So that creates procedures and barriers maybe that's not quite the right word but I guess it slows things down in some ways I think when you when you operate on your own and you can totally truly be autonomous and you can be very agile and and adapt to things very quickly and you can 
in a split second sort of say yes to an opportunity you do lose that when you when you're part of something bigger and that's just you know the nature of the beast i guess so there's there's pros and cons to it for sure selling a little or a lot shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage shopify is there to help you grow shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36 percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms because businesses that grow grow with shopify Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I guess also one of the challenges as well is when you did kind of sell and go go within to the business, you know, we also had the pandemic. So what was the realities of the pandemic like for yourself in respect to both business and, and personally? Yeah, I mean, God, pandemic was was rough. So I guess, um, you know, those first couple of months when we went into that first lockdown, I'm glad, you know, I'm glad the timing of it because our busy season is the autumn and we went into that first lockdown in March and the bulk of our revenue came from in-person large-scale events. So I was like, thinking, oh my God, what the hell are we going to do? We're going to go bust potentially here because that's where the bulk of our revenue is. And I had to think really creatively and quickly as to how we could rescue it, I guess, because I knew that if we could rescue it in time for the autumn, we'd probably be all right. So we had one event that was literally due within a week or so at Anfield Stadium from um, the first lockdown. That got cancelled as it had to be. And we had another one that was meant to be on campus in Lincoln uh, in the April. So what I did is I persuaded them to still run it, but to do it online. And then in the background, I'm trying to source a supplier to run because we need the technology to support that, which we didn't have ourselves at that point. 
So it ended up costing us money to run that event. But I knew that if we ran it and it was a success, I could create a case study that I could then tout to all those business, to all those universities and businesses that we had booked in for the autumn. I could show them it worked and I could probably retain them. So that's what we did. And we created this sort of piece together video case study, but it worked. And every, we lost one client who we've now got back for this year because their budget got canned, but every other client we retained and actually won a load of new business as well, because suddenly universities were being asked to put things online and they didn't really, they weren't really set up to do that at that point. So we ended up securing quite a few new clients who had some money to spend to put something online, but didn't really know what to do. And we could provide a solution for them. So we actually ended up having our, a record year last year. And we we did more than double what we've done the year before, which is which is mental when you think about it. When think back to March, like head in hands, thinking, oh my God, how are we, what are we going to do? How's this going to work? And then one of the things that we did quite quickly is we created our own software. So I mentioned we've got a tech team in the group. We told them all the stuff we wanted this technology to do. They built it, took quite a while, but obviously those things do take time. And then we now use that for all of our events, which then made them more profitable because we don't have to pay another supplier for it. We also are now able to sell it to employers. So it, it makes its money, its own money in that sense. Yeah. So it's amazing because you've been able to grow a business even more so during the pandemic, whilst a lot of people were kind of just trying to heart, like knuckle down and dig in and wait out the pandemic. So it's amazing that you've been able to kind of grow and develop during very, very difficult and uncertain times. And also, you know, you've won some amazing awards as well. So let, let's maybe mention some of those. Oh, where do we start? I mean, we're, we're big on awards. Um, so gosh, well, during the last sort of year or so, um, we've won a number of awards with us and clients, which is fantastic. And it's really nice to sort of see clients recognised. So we won the Institute of Student Employer Award. We won Outstanding University Partnership with a Supplier. So we won that for our work with the University of Hertfordshire and they're one of our biggest university clients. So that was amazing to, to get that recognition both for us and, and for Hertfordshire. Personal level, I won the Northeast Entrepreneur of the Year Award uh, at the GBEAs. So that was pretty cool. Um, enjoyed that, although it was like an, all an online sort of uh, ceremony, which was a bit strange. That was kind of in the, in the middle of the pandemic. In fact, I won two awards there, which was which was dead cool. It was yeah. it was really good. Yeah, I've I've done well. You can see uh, my award shelf there. I've done I've done yeah I've done well with the awards. And I think the thing with awards is sometimes you feel a bit embarrassed, almost like going for things. And quite often people nominate you, and then you're just kind of filling out the rest of the of the submission. But, you know, you shouldn't shy away from going for awards because you, you'll only win them if you've got a decent track record of, of success to, to be able to justify it. But it's a great recognition and it's not even, you know, even if I win one for, for me, it's not just for me, it's it's recognition of the team and the team love to celebrate. You know, it's great to be able to celebrate things and it just makes you reflect for a moment and think about how how far you've come because it's it's really, it's just really cool. And, you know, whenever I post about awards on social or whatever, our clients always spot them and they love mentioning them and they love to, you know, feel like they've been part of your story. And it's just a real like feel good thing to it. No, that's amazing. Like what, how do you define success yourself? Ooh, personal success, business success. both. If, if I was to define success, I would say, there's different measures, isn't there? And, and there's different measures that it'll be 
of different importance to different people. So you might want to look at things like revenue and profit and things like that. So there's clearly a financial success, both for your business and then what you can take out for yourself personally. For me on on the financial thing, I always wanted to be able to afford a nice house, which I was able to do a couple of years ago and be able to go on holidays to wherever I wanted. And things like that were really important to me because when I set the business up, I'd gone from having a really well-paid job at John Lewis at that point to setting the business up, which wasn't really earning as much money right at the beginning. I then got divorced about six months into setting the business up, which hit me massively financially. So I had like two or three years of being properly skint. So to then achieve financial success, created opportunities, freedom, security, and all of those things are really, really valuable to me. So I think that's important. I think things like having some sort of freedom and autonomy in terms of your week. So, you know, do I have to go and sit in an office every day from nine till five? No, I don't. Um, I have a reasonable amount of flexibility over my diary. So if I want to pick my daughter up on a Friday after school, which I try and do that every week, then I'll I'll do that and I'll prioritize that if she's got a play at school or whatever. And not that we're going into school and being able to do anything much at schools at the moment, but, you know, things like that that are important to her uh, are obviously important to me as well. So to be able to do those things or be able to go on the holiday and go somewhere really nice and like stay somewhere nice, that's not, you know, some budget thing, which is what we used to do in the old days, you know, things like that are, are really important. I think being able to pick and choose opportunities, again, links to the freedom side of things. So I would say all of those been things are success. And, you know, on, on that sort of surface level, the awards, they are that recognition as well. All sorts of different things, I guess. And obviously, you know, you mentioned like getting divorced and like the separation of your business partner. And these are a lot of like real life challenges that you've faced. Like, what, how would you describe like facing some of these challenges and coming out the other side? Gosh, well, you've got to be resilient. Uh, and I think I'm resilient. And, you know, when we were talking earlier about childhood and things, I'm resourceful. And for me, whenever I have a challenge, whether it be business or personal, and actually when you run a business, a business challenge becomes personal, I guess. And I think I like to be very pragmatic about it. So quite often when I have a problem, I kind of throw myself into it a bit more. So when I got divorced, rather than mope around and get depressed, there was a bit of that, but it was few and far between because for me, the solution was actually to immerse myself in the business and do more for the business because I could see that by doing more on the business, I would then generate the the cash, the income to be able to have more freedom than I had at that point in time. So to me, that was quite a pragmatic approach. And I knew, I always knew the business would do well if it had the time devoted to it. So that was always quite a big, a big thing for me. And yeah, I, I just, I, I think I kind of thrive off those sorts of challenges. I kind of try and take a bit of a step back. I try and think about who, who can help me, who can I go and talk to, to give me some sensible advice about things and what do I need to do and how do I break those steps down to be able to, try and deal with with the challenge you know we all go through challenges in personal and business it's it's how you handle them and try trying to turn them into a positive if you can or at least get through them and come out the other side yeah i think because a lot of people look at challenge and it can over overwhelm a lot of people but i guess like the ability to embrace challenge and even embrace fear and vulnerability and know that these are like tools that help us to grow and develop and progress they, these are all important learning 
periods and learning opportunities that we were presented with. So that's um, very much key. And it's amazing to hear your story. I think one of the other things I wanted to chat about is the element of charity work. Cause you do a lot of charity work and charity like myself is um, very much central to what I believe in. And, you know, let's maybe take an opportunity to chat a little bit more, more about the charity work that you do. Ever since I was in my early twenties, I've always been involved with at least one charity and I, I, I don't really know how I got into that or or why that's happened but it's I've just always had at least one charity thing on the go and it's always had to be something that you know I feel some sort of affinity towards so the first thing I did in my 20 early 20s as well is I volunteered for the Samaritans and I did that for eight years I think and started at the Newcastle branch in Jesmond as a listening volunteer so everyone that works for that volunteers for Samaritans starts as a listening volunteer and then because I was quite keen I ended up taking on all these other responsibilities so I was a listening volunteer then I became a day leader which was the person that the listening volunteers would sort of debrief if they had a challenging shift that would speak to the, the day leader and then I became a trainer which fitted in what I was doing with John Lewis at the time around the learning development side of things. So I was training up new volunteers, which was dead fun. It was really interesting. Did that for quite a long time in Newcastle. Then when I moved to London, on that secondment that turned into a massive period, I then transferred to the London branch, which was so different. It was in the middle of Soho, completely different. It was like a call centre. It felt really different to the to the Newcastle one. Um, I didn't enjoy it as much as if, if I'm honest, but it was a great experience. And then when I moved back to Newcastle, I got involved with Newcastle City Learning, which was around all those sort of extracurricular sort of night classes and part-time classes that you can do across the city. And then uh, my first board position was AJUK Northumberland, which uh, um, I'm coming to the end of my term for, for that. Um, so you know Marsh, right? I do know Andrew Marsh. Yeah. He's my chairman. So, yeah. So, I mean, I've really enjoyed that. So I've done that for over five years. So I support the board and, um, the senior leadership team around HR issues. So have been involved in lots of things. It's quite a complex, um, charity. It's quite a big charity, actually. You know, we've got over, gosh, like 300 yeah, staff it's, I think. Massive, it? it's really big it's really really big um and you know care work is uh, you know full of all sorts of challenges uh, particularly during the pandemic so a really interesting setup there because we have the home care side of the, of the organization and then the the charitable services side of things so um that's been really interesting i've worked with some really interesting board colleagues during that time and then last year, it was probably about November, December time. So probably about a year ago, actually. And I was saying, my team was saying to me, you know, next year, can you just not take on anything else? Because I'm one for saying yes to lots of things. I was like, yeah, 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 fine. I won't, I'm, I'm not going to take anything on in 2021. I said, the only, the only caveat to that is if something comes up with SmartWorks in Newcastle, I really, really fancy working for them. So if that comes up, I, I'll, uh, I might uh, I might go for that. And then literally a couple of weeks later, I saw this um, post on LinkedIn saying they were looking for a chair. And I was like, oh my God, that is so me. Like, I really, really want to do that. Because I wanted to chair a, a board. I wanted that responsibility. And SmartWigs Newcastle, oh, honestly, I could talk about it for hours. It's just a charity that just 
is aligned with so much about what what I'm into and what I enjoy. So for those of you that don't know, it is a, well, SmartWorks is a national charity headquartered in, in London, but with different branches throughout the country. And we support unemployed women by providing interview clothing and interview coaching. And in Newcastle, well, we provide that support to women across the whole of the Northeast. So it's quite, we've got quite a big remit. I went through quite, it was quite a lengthy recruitment process to, to get that role. And I was just delighted when I got it. I just, I just love it. I absolutely love it. And we've, we are, we've got really bold aims. So one of the things that, um, that one of the reasons why they brought me in is they wanted someone that was commercial to, to come into that chair role. And, you know, I am commercial and I am very challenging. So I was looking at the strategic plan and thinking, right, we need to be more ambitious with this. It was quite a long-term plan to double the number of women that we support. And I was like, why, why were we waiting three years to do that? We need to do that this year. And everyone's like, oh my God, no, we can't do it. And I was like, we absolutely can. If we put the support in there, we, we needed to make the staff team bigger. We needed to make the volunteer team of stylists and coaches bigger. We, they'd been talking for quite a long time about having an ambassador. So I was like, right, how can we move that forward? And how can that help? So we got Sarah Davies in as our ambassador. Amazing. Do you know, she's amazing. So I knew, I knew her a bit because she'd, I'd met her at various things. Um, she'd done a bit of promotion for my first book. She was in my second book. She was in, on my podcast. So I messaged her. Uh, no, I didn't message her. I emailed her, I think. Or did I message her? No, I emailed her and said, Sarah, we are looking for an ambassador. We want you. You're our first choice. Um, because we think that your support will help us to raise the profile across the Northeast. And I pitched to her and I said, look, you know, we're the branch that's um, usually towards the bottom of the table at the moment. We can do a lot more. And if you back us, we can support, you can have a direct impact on women in your region. And I thought, I know that'll appeal to it. And she, she replied quite quick and she said, oh, it has to go through my internal PR and it has to go to the BBC and you know, the Dragon's Den stuff has to go through all of this. Um, so it was quite a formal reply. And I thought, oh, where's this going to go? And then her team got in touch and asked for all this information, blah, blah, blah. And then they came back and they were like, yes, sorry, I would love to do this. So I then messaged, we follow each other on Instagram and I messaged her on Instagram and I was like, oh yes, I'm so glad that you're doing this. This is going to be amazing. And she sent me back one and said, I just really wanted to say yes straight away, but I couldn't because I can't say yes to everything anymore. And like, I get asked to do stuff all the time and I have to be really selective and it has to go through all these people. She says, but I'm really excited, can't wait. And then we got her to come and do a visit and she got to sort of have a tour around the branch and see how it works. She met some of our volunteers she met some of our previous clients who'd gone on to get jobs and she was just awesome she was just totally cool she does you know if we ever ask her to do a shout out on social she'll do it she's coming to run an event for us we're doing an event in january at jasmine dean house which is going to be in conversation with sarah thing where i'm going to be interviewing her and people can ask her questions and she's just very warm genuine person what you see is what you get and actually last week we had we hit our target for the first time ever of this new target around doubling the number of women so we hit the target for last month and we were also third in this league table of the branches which is unheard of and you know we're under quite a lot of pressure around that league table in the sense that we're never going to be top because London has two branches and it's massive so they're always going to be way ahead they're always going to be number one even if they have a bad month and then Birmingham is also quite big they were second but for us to be third was like absolutely massive and I sent her a message and bearing in mind she, at the moment she's super busy doing all the strictly stuff for her was that week I sent her a message saying 
I know you're dead busy, but I just have to tell you we've we've hit that target and we're third and I'm I'm just so happy. And she just sent me this lush message back just saying, oh, I'm absolutely delighted for you. This is amazing. Wow, well done. Just really positive. And we've got a board meeting tonight, actually, so I'm going to share that message with the, with the, with the board. But just really genuine, just um, super genuine. So that's been great because that's helped us to raise our profile, which has meant that, you know, we can attract more, more women in. But, the, you know, the key metrics that we have are around how many women that we support go on to get the job that they've, you know, that they've applied for. And we're usually around about, we're pretty much always over 70% and we have a high response rate. So we, we have, I think, pretty consistently the highest response rate of women that respond to our request to say, did you get the job? So we're getting over 90% that respond and then over 70% that have got the job. Amazing. Amazing. It's just so good. And it's like when you speak to the clients that come in and you see them come in and they might have been out of work for a long time because they've had caring responsibilities or they've had awful things that have happened to them and they come in and they're quite nervous and actually even coming into our building, like that can be quite like overwhelming for them. And we've got these amazing volunteers that just want to put them at ease and make them feel and look good. And then they get styled in these beautiful outfits and they go out and you can see the lift in the them just walking out they just look so much more confident and then for them to go and get a job it's just life-changing and to be part of that it's so exciting I love it I, I want to stay there and do my whole term because I, I just love it I absolutely love it it's brilliant so like talking about like the amazing work that you you do and like just listening to what you've done throughout your career what words of advice or words of wisdom would you kind of give to any budding entrepreneurs or people looking to go alone themselves at this point in time so a few bits of advice, I think. I think I would say, think about who you surround yourself with. So when I came back to the Northeast and set, and set the business up, I didn't know anyone that had a business. I literally didn't know anyone. And again, I look back and I think, what the hell was I thinking? Like, that's crazy. One of the key game changers for me was getting in with, it was, it was a group of women actually at a women's networking event. And we kind of became a bit of a, a bit of a group, like a bit of a, a gang, like a business posse. And that was great. We were totally different industries, but understood the same challenges and we would support each other. And I went through and did a few different masterminds as well. So you're getting similar kind of support and things like that. So I think growing your network, your support network of people that are in that industry, because like, you know, my parents, they're never going to understand what running a business is like. And they were kind of quite against it. I actually at first thought I should go and get a job because I didn't understand you know, they just didn't understand it because it was new to them. So to have allies that get what you're going through is massive and you can't underestimate that, you know, people are radiators or drains, aren't they? And you need, you need the radiators, you need the radiators to, to, you know, keep you warm and keep you and you keep motivating you and go through those highs and the lows. So for me, that would be really important. And as you grow your network, as you encounter more challenges, which you will, you know who to go to or you know who to go to to point you in the right direction to someone else. And and that's that network is just invaluable. And then I think the other thing is to always be learning. You know, like I'm in my 40s now and I'll never stop learning. Every year I do something for my own development. So one of the things that, well, there's a few things I've done that I think have been really helpful. So I did a, a fantastic business accelerator a few years back now. The key person of influence um, business accelerator did that down in, in London. That was a game changer. You know, the mastermind group or the accountability group that I was put in with that, I still meet with them every Friday on Zoom and we have our coffee together at 8am and we chat through challenges and they are just 
worth their weight in gold, you know, like we uh, like what a network. So that was brilliant. The things that I learned on that program will stay with me forever and I'll apply to future ventures because it was just so good. And I think you always need to keep learning and keep motivating yourself. So if I'm having a bit of a flat day, I might watch something on YouTube that I know will perk me up, whether it's a TEDx talk or, or whatever, or read something, but always learning. So the thing that I'm looking at for doing this year is I'm going through um, a process at the moment to apply to do a PhD. So to me, that's like ultimate learning, isn't it? That's some serious commitment. And I want to do a PhD specializing in female entrepreneurship because it's something that I'm interested in. It's something I'm passionate about. It's something that will hold my interest for quite a long period of time, which is going to have to because I'm going to be doing it part-time. So I keep thinking, wow, if I get through this application process and I get to do that, think about all the interesting people I'm going to get to speak to and all the opportunities that that is going to lead to. And I think it's just being open to things. No one's a finished article. So what is it that you can do that's going to hold your attention and develop you in something that's going to be useful and interesting? It's about looking at opportunities, isn't it? And so many people look, especially now, like who knows what the future holds in respect to the pandemic, but everybody's been through so so much different challenges and change and difficulties over the course of the last 19 or uh, 20 months that it's the way you look at things and yeah totally believe the the strength and networks and utilizing your kind of the strength of weak ties as the as the old phrase goes and also um you know looking at looking at it and going well actually the impact that you can provide and the the sharing of knowledge and like I, I truly believe you know you, your radiator knowledge is amazing but like it's, it's like make sure you work and surround yourself with people that lift you up and don't pull you down and how you look at competition as well. Competition should be there to encourage you not to kind of be seen as a threat or, you know, some, somebody that's holding you back. So yeah, no, it's, it's been absolutely amazing speaking with you and yeah, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the purpose made podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to Purpose Made wherever you normally get your podcasts to hear the latest news and views. You can also find and follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter or contact Peter directly to connect, inquire about Purpose Made or request to be featured on the podcast. We look forward to welcoming you back soon for another episode. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.